you are watching and listening to the Heidi Roo Show podcast. The Heidi Roo Show podcast is usually a place where you'll find compelling stories of female leaders, creators, and innovators. But today, we are switching it up a little bit. We're having a male join us. You're going to love him. It's Chef Philip. And of course, this continues my Italy chronicles here. I'm at La Forteza with Annette Joseph and doing her styling workshop. And I'm interviewing people that are part of it. So Chef Philip is our chef this week. It's pretty amazing. He is actually in Atlanta, but he comes here to help Annette and, and is the chef for her workshops. He was born in Indiana. He studied at a culinary school in France. Then he also worked at a two-star Michelin restaurant. If you haven't heard of the Michelin stars, it's a very prestigious thing that is only granted to a few restaurants, hardly any in the United States. And it's just the ultimate compliment for a restaurant and for a chef. And so he worked it, and I'm gonna try and get this right, the name, Alain Sondoron. I think that was somewhat close. He then moved to Atlanta and he worked at the French restaurant Joelle. And he was a sous chef at Holy Taco, the chef for Kimball House in Decatur. In fact, when he was the chef there, that was when it was named Southern Living's best new restaurant in the South. Now, of course, he's a chef at La Forteza and he's the owner of a company called Bright Seed. What you're gonna hear in this interview is Chef Philip talk about his love for cooking and where that came from. You're gonna hear that story, but you're also gonna hear about um, his wife. She ended up dealing with an autoimmune issue and that really changed his perspective about food. So we're gonna hear that and that's kind of what led to Bright Seed. But you're also gonna hear things that you can take away, like practical tips in the kitchen, how to use herbs better, and then how to cook more holistically. Let's hear from Chef Philip. Chef Philip, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, the first guy of the year on the Heidi Roo Show podcast. So thank you so much for all your delicious food that you have been preparing for us this week. It's just been amazing. I'm so glad you like it. Yeah. Um, he did this uh, rosemary ice cream last night that I literally woke up thinking about this morning. So <laughs> <laughs> never thought You're I would ever kind. say that <laughs> about ice cream. I want to go back to when you first began having that love for cooking and that interest. It was about 13 years old. Yeah. Can you tell me what motivated you or inspired you to want to even cook? Yeah, I wanted more variety in my diet. And um, I just, I really like loved eating. It was like one of my favorite things mm -hmm. to do. And I kind of loved it from the first time my dad planted a garden in our backyard when I was wow. a little kid. Mm-hmm. So I just realized that I could like make these flavors for myself mm. and I started like getting more into the kitchen. It was around the time that my mom had gone back to work and that meant I had like more free time and space to, yeah. to get in there and start experimenting like before she got home. I was going to ask you if she felt like, hey, what are you doing in here? <laughs> You're encroaching on my space. I think like as long as I cleaned up the mess, uh -huh. she was okay with yeah. it. She's always told me that she doesn't really enjoy cooking. So I think it was more of a relief. You mm -hmm. know, when I talked to like women of her age and older, I feel like the kitchen was kind of a, a burden from what I hear. Mm -hmm. And like it was like this extra expectation this extra job right to go along with the job that they are already doing mm -hmm. so 
know, more yeah. of a chore. Sure. And a yeah. Pleasure. So when you first started cooking, was it like amazing from the very beginning or did you have some failures? <laughs> oh, it was all failures from the beginning. <laughs> Like, I didn't understand how to defrost meat very well, uh-huh. so I throw it in the microwave <laughs> and <laughs> try to use the defrost function to, right. to defrost an entire roast. Or oh, my goodness. My chicken would come out tasting like lighter fluid. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I would use every spice in the spice cabinet to yeah. flavor my, uh, quote, barbecue sauce, unquote. Uh, so <laughs> it was it was a... It was a lot of experimentation. I remember mm-hmm. sometimes my brother just like standing with me, I think more out of entertainment than yeah. um, than like out of curiosity to know how to cook. I think it right. was just kind of what funny to watch. Yeah, is going to happen here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So then from there, you just kept going. Obviously, that didn't stop you or discourage you, the yeah. barbecue sauce with everything <laughs> in the kitchen cabinet in there. Yeah, I got my first um, restaurant job when I was 18. Um, it was to make extra money to, uh, before I went off to college. My psychology teacher uh, gave me um, a job at his pizzeria that mm. he and his uh, wife ran together. Yeah. And I was pretty bad at that job, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't good at rolling out the pizza dough. Um, I could make the pizzas decently, but I would always forget which ingredients to put in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only thing I could really do was deliver them fast. And uh, I think I probably ate more pizza every night than like the money I I would help (laughs) produce for the company, bring them for the company. So yeah. Yeah. Did anybody ever say to you, like, what are you thinking doing this if you forget ingredients for pizza and you've had some entertaining recipes that your brother really enjoyed did anyone ever say really should maybe should you think about something else to do with your life or (laughs) were you just like look I'm just gonna keep doing this I mean at that point it wasn't really like a life goal I was just Mm -hmm. learning Mm -hmm. and uh since I was a male there wasn't like a lot of like expectation and like the house for me to be a great cook, mm-hmm. you know, because of how like traditional world right. roles worked. So everybody was just amused to see like a guy getting into the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the restaurant world, I think they just realized I was there to make some money before I went mm-hmm. to, um, off to college. And yeah. like, as long as I could like do something, it was, yeah. it was okay. They're very kind <laughs> to yeah. have employed me. Um, but then I kept on working in restaurants in um, college, and that's when I started um, getting better. Yeah. <laughs> was that the shift for you, too, of thinking, okay, not only do I still really love this, but also I, I feel like I have a skill now that I can contribute to someone else? Is that when it happened or before that or after? No, I, I think like I kept on learning how to cook just because it brought so much joy to me. Like. Mm-hmm. I really like cooking for people, other people, and I like to like do it more in an intimate setting. Mm-hmm. I like to see pe- people's reactions. I like to interact with them, yeah. find out about them. I feel like it f- food facilitates um, human interconnectivity. It <laughs> does, like, yeah. Or like intimacy, getting to know someone. Yeah. 
getting to understand them. Yeah. Like it's a place where we can let our guard down when mm-hmm. we sit at the table together. Mm-hmm. So when you went into restaurants, did you always feel like, because you said that you like that in, more intimate, sorry, we have someone that really wants to be on the podcast. This is Vivian right here. If you hold on you for a second, see. I'll lift her up. <laughs> and if you're watching on YouTube, then you can see this cute little girl. She's like, Look, she's sniffing the microphone. She is itching to be on the podcast, aren't you? What do you have to say for yourself? What What is it like having everyone adore you? That's what I thought. (laughs) She's a bit of a queen. She is. (laughs) But so when you went into restaurants and you had that, um, you know, the the main thing is being able to see the joy on people's face. Did that feel difficult in a restaurant setting where it is such a business and you don't necessarily get to see the people as much? Or It it eventually did, but I didn't realize it at first because Mm -hmm. I was so happy learning how to make uh, new dishes. Mm. And also I really enjoyed the camaraderie yeah. in the back of the kitchen. There's, um, I think, uh, Anthony, the late Anthony Bourdain captured it the best mm-hmm. in his book, kitchen confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, he just really like, you know, he was able to lay out exactly how like this rambunctious group of people were able to connect together. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. Mm. I was young. I had the energy to do it, right. you know, um, as I got older, it was like way more taxing, but sure. at that point I was like, yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something happened in your life with your wife that really kind of changed your perspective and led you away from the restaurant environment. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I spent a long time, um, becoming a chef, like going to Paris to culinary school and, um, then coming back and working in Atlanta and when we first started dating like we would eat everything together she would cook for me Colombian and Palestinian food it was amazing like learning all this new food and we really connected over food and when she um, started having symptoms of lupus it became apparent to us that like her diet might need to change and so she went to see a holistic doctor and found out like what sort of dietary restrictions sh- she should have. Mm-hmm. And uh, we experimented with eliminating a lot of that stuff from the diet. Mm-hmm. And some stuff got brought back in eventually, but a yeah. lot of it has had to like for the last six, five or six years has had to like stay out of the diet. Mm. Wheat, aka gluten, yeah, um, sugar for the most part all sorts of like simple carbohydrates, nuts. It's, it can be exhausting like to try to get out there and find somebody who can, a restaurant that will like have food that you can eat. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you just end up eating salads all the Mm -hmm. time, which is all right, but not all the time. Right. How was that for you? Like emotionally seeing her deal with that, where you just love experimenting you love trying new things and you love being able to bring people joy through food what was that like seeing her maybe not be able to enjoy or not even know what foods she could enjoy it's tough and it's um it's still tough to see her not be able to like eat all the foods that are out there Mm -hmm. so like for me that just makes me want to like find ways to like give her the same joy that she had before whether it's like learning how to make um, gnocchi out of like sweet potatoes and like 
whole cassava flour yeah. or like making like blueberry muffins uh-huh. um, out of alternative ingredients. Uh-huh. You know, eventually you find ways around it, like right. ways to create food that can be enjoyable and even ultimately more healthy. And it's like so good for me to like see her and enjoying something the same way she had enjoyed it in the past. Yeah. Yeah. But like for like my perspective, what it changed for me was that when you, when you're a restaurant chef, you have a lot of responsibilities Mm -hmm. that needle that would like drive us like that would break the camel's back. So to say like would be like food allergies that would suddenly Mm. come in. And there, when I was coming up in the restaurant industry, there wasn't like, there wasn't much receptiveness for this, you Mm. know, People would be like, yeah, right, whatever. Everybody thinks they have a gluten allergy. But when I was able to see it with her and I was also able to see it, like my mom's health also was affected by these sort of allergies. When I was able to see that happen, like firsthand, I was like, okay, I need to change the way I approach this. Mm -hmm. And then I need to make sure that the cooks that I'm training also have the same attitude. And that's sort of like teaching me about like empathy in my life and how to like, how that was like empathy should be like the first step I take when engaging with people. And I don't know, I feel like the way like restaurant work is organized and how hard you have to work, like a lot of time you become calloused to Mm -hmm. that and not everyone, but for me that happened. I I feel like her illness, like one, one good side effect for me is that it allowed me to like start re-engaging with empathy and starting Mm -hmm. to like make sure that like that was the lens I was seeing things yeah. through. And that led to Bright Seed, right? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So tell me about Bright Seed. It's education and consulting, right? Yeah. So I didn't, I felt like my time in restaurants were, was over. Like I um, I'd had a good run. Like mm-hmm. I was last um, co executive chef of this restaurant called Kimball House yeah. Indicator, and it's still a great restaurant. But I wanted to, um, start doing other things that had other interests that had like Mm -hmm. bubbled up. Um, I started seeing like what, like focusing on my personal like health could do for myself, Mm -hmm. um, eating differently, practicing yoga, even meditating. I saw, I sound like so much like a millennial right now, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but I'm going to own it. Um, it's really helpful like to slow down to do something to reduce anxiety and then to like make sure you're putting good stuff into yourself Mm -hmm. is it's more important than I think like um it's more important than I realize and it's more important than I think that that a lot of people than what a lot of people realize Mm. since you do educate people Mm -hmm. on a more holistic approach for food what is one of the biggest hurdles that people face trying to change the way they prepare and even think about food in that way. I think the toughest thing is reducing the number of carbohydrates. Mm. Um, because for so long, like the base of the food pyramid, like right. that was carbohydrates, mm-hmm. you know, cereal in the morning, bread at lunch, mm-hmm. bread for dinner, <laughs> pasta, even with your bread. We just don't lead an active enough lifestyle to have that be the base of what we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that you need to eliminate all car- carbohydrates, but regulating it is the first step to being able to like live much more health healthily. For me, I see like for myself, like 
my body seems a lot more acid, the more sugar and carbohydrates, acidic, <laughs> the more carbohydrates uh -huh. and uh, sugar I consume. And so I try reducing those makes like my body function a lot better. Right. My muscles are a lot less tense. I have a lot less like I don't have like a runny nose. The allergies affect me less. Like I just feel more resilient. Mm hmm. I feel like I see a lot of like my clients with that same result. That's usually like whether it's the whole 30 diet or like autoimmune paleo. That's yeah. what my wife does. And some of my other clients, they start to like bounce back from their health conditions. Yeah. And it's definitely not a cure all. Like sure. we should like everyone I know still sees like a doctor. <laughs> they still yeah. like, you know, a lot of people still take medications and stuff, mm -hmm. but is definitely something else you should do in order to help mm. with um, your overall health. What about vegetables? Because I think that for so many people, first of all, I mean, I'll just be honest. Like I grew up the oldest of four kids and my dad was a teacher. My mom stayed at home. So like she always gave, she really tried to feed us a good balance mm -hmm. meal, but I mean, the vegetables were canned pretty much, you know, <laughs> most of the time, at least the green beans. And which, I mean, I still like love those salty green beans in the can. But I think that so many people don't know what to do with vegetables or how to, to season or flavor them. Yeah. Is there any simple thing that someone could do to try and get more vegetables in it and have that flavor really pop? Unless there's like some sort of like blood pressure issues, I think we shouldn't see salt as the enemy. Mm -hmm. Salt's actually the thing that helps make vegetables delicious. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if if a vegetable tastes bitter, the the best way to make it taste sweet is with salt. Huh. Yeah, it's so little to it, and it just sweetens it like crazy. Think about a tomato. A tomato tastes like really dull mm -hmm. when you first bite into it. You might be able to taste some of the sugar, some of the acid, yeah. but to get that meatiness of it, that robust mm -hmm. flavor, you have to put a lot of salt with yeah. it. Now with like green beans, it's less, lettuce is less, but you know, just salt a little bit, taste, salt a little bit more, and then you can start to figure it out. Um, then like a little bit of olive oil helps yeah. and sometimes want lemon juice or like a, even like a nice vinegar. For me, also, like, knowing how to cook vegetables is um, can be a large hurdle for a lot of people I work with. Uh, just because, like, there's so many new vegetables out there, yes. and a lot of people did grow up eating cans. I grew up right. eating canned vegetables, which aren't bad. They're, like, like not, like, they're not all bad. Sure, sure. There's, yeah. there's like, a lot of healthiness in doing, in preserving food that way. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you're buying fresh vegetables at the store that, for me, have a lot more life force mm -hmm. to them, it can be a lot of time and a daunting like mm -hmm. task to like take the time to acquaint yourself with how to cook this, researching yeah. it, etc. So like a few of the quick ways I make things like for me taste good um, is I roast them in the oven. I just put down parchment paper on top of a sheet tray yeah. and I cut the vegetables up or I um, put put them like whole a oh. whole butternut squash or like I just cut a cauliflower directly in half. Don't do anything else to yeah. it. I'll add a little bit of salt to them and I'll throw them in the oven and let them roast. Okay. And um, unless they're going to stick, I'll add like some oil to it if they're going to stick. Yeah. But otherwise, sometimes I just cook them without oil and just then add it salt? at the end. Because then the oil wow. tastes fresh. It tastes delicious. Yeah. It tastes like, especially like olive oil mm -hmm. or something like that. I, I do it. 
I, I find that olive oil gives a ton more ton of flavor and for me like it's a healthier option than most butters yeah and then when you roast it is there like a good temperature to keep it at 400 degrees 400 yeah and you want to roast it until it becomes soft unless it's something that you prefer to eat hard like Mm, broccoli something that some people prefer a little bit harder but a sweet potato you want really soft you want it to bust open a little bit and you want those, those sugars that drip out to caramelize and turn a little bit black oh okay yeah yeah, I find that like when I work with people, like like some of their biggest epiphanies is when you stick the sweet potato in the oven and it's a little bit soft. They're like, okay, it's done. And at that point, you, you can eat it, yeah. but it's not going to taste like up to its full potential. The sugars mm-hmm. won't be there. The full like nuttiness of it won't be there. Like if you roast it for a long, long time, you barely need any salt for that thing to taste good. It's wow. just, it tastes like heaven. And then yeah. you just pour some fresh olive oil on the top. And it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I love sweet potatoes so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. One of my favorite things. They're like heaven. They are. Yeah. Well, another thing too, that you are so good. I mean, you guys, I wish you could taste a chef Phillips food (laughs) because it's so delicious and, um, the flavors are incredible. And then your use of herbs is just awesome. So do you have any tips for incorporating more of that into our foods? So there are like two ways you can incorporate it. Okay. If you feel comfortable with a knife, like at the very end of cooking, you can chop up some herbs and just mix them into the thing. Yeah. Like you don't need to cook the herbs. Oh, okay. Um, and they'll add their flavor. They, they add it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Even like thyme and rosemary to add some fresh at the end Yeah. is like delicious. Um, when I made the um, rosemary ice cream. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I cooked some of the rosemary in it, and then I added a whole heap of rosemary at the end to let it just infuse mm. overnight. Mm-hmm. And that gave like that extra umph of flavor. Mm. Also using multiple herbs is great. Yeah, I think I'm not sure what to like what combinations are best. American cuisine for me like hasn't incorporated a ton of herbs in mm-hmm. their things, and a lot of a lot of things like are just dried out herbs. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really until like when I started learning French cooking, I started learning a little bit, a little bit in Italian, but it was really like Middle Eastern cooking where mm-hmm. herbs became the dish. Yeah, like tabule is um, a parsley salad. Yes, yeah, it's like delicious. Yeah. And when my wife taught me how to make that for the first time, I was like, oh, this is how you use parsley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. As long as parsley, like, it's hard to, like, chew when it's, like, just given to you plain on top of something. Right. But if you put some, for any herb, if you put some olive oil, some vinegar, or, like, yeah. a little bit of like lemon juice butter. or something like that, yeah, that helps lemon juice s- helps soften it. Mm-hmm helps like incorporate that flavor throughout and mm-hmm. it makes it way easier to chew if it sits mm. with it for just a little bit yeah um the way that's really easy to incorporate herbs if you don't have a lot of time is to get a vitamix love my vitamix you just <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> um Mom just got here, so Vivian <laughs> was very excited. <laughs> yeah, I typically don't put the vinegar or the lemon juice into uh-huh. the Vitamix with it, but I will put a little bit of water and a little bit of olive oil. Mm. And when you do this with a little bit of salt, you can blend up the herbs yeah. just enough so you can blend the herbs. Mm. And 
it'll become like a herb puree. And if whatever mm-hmm. you mix that into, it just takes on the flavor. So it could be a salad dressing. Yeah. It could go into like on top of like a meat. Yeah. Uh, you can put it inside a fish before you cook it. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, like you, it only takes like 30 seconds. Yeah. And you have like two cups of herbs, mm-hmm. like in pureed form. So you yes. don't even have to chew them. Yeah. Ready to go. And it can be like whatever combination. I feel like. The light herbs, like parsley, mint, even tarragon. Tarragon's pretty strong. But um, those light, delicate herbs, les herbes they have this, like, they go really well together. And then that's a good place to start with those. Okay. And then rosemary, sage, thyme, those more, like, hearty herbs, mm-hmm. those go well together. The way I learned was to just start out with some by itself, play with that, see how it went. Just mm-hmm. think, like... Cilantro goes great in pico de gallo, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, that's not the traditional herb that was used in, like, Mexican salsas for... Really? Yeah. Pre, pre, like, conquistadors, there are all sorts of different herbs that were used with things. Um, There were, like, there's, like, epizote that's used with things. There's um, yerbasante, culantro... Cilantro was wow. like the herb that was re- that cilantro largely replaced, but you have all these native herbs that are delicious in Mexico. And once, like I read that, like cilantro could replace. I was like, what else could replace it? Yeah, because like parsley and um, med- a lot of Mediterranean cooking replaces what cilantro does in Mexican cooking. Oh, right. So if you just think about like what you eat at restaurants Mm -hmm. and know the herbs in that, that's a good place to start. That is a great tip. I love that. One of my favorite salad dressings is um, one from Jenny Levison. Yeah. She owns Super Jenny. I don't know her personally. Okay. I've met her. She's been on the Heidi Ruscio podcast. Oh, that's awesome. And she has this parsley. The house dressing there is like a ton of parsley with some shallots and then red wine vinegar, olive oil, and it is in salt and pepper. And it is just so delicious. And for forever, that is the only salad dressing I would would make it at home. And that's the only thing I would put on my salads. It's Um, a great place to start. Yeah. 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 A lot of like French cooking has those elements at the base of Uh like a lot of like the relishes that are put Mm -hmm. on top of the thing. The other thing too that I wanted to share with everyone is that Chef Philip made this delicious thing to put on the bolognese, right? Is that what you made last night? That's what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just sage, but I was like, I could eat this like chips. So it's sage and then you put it in some olive, you fry it in some olive oil. Yeah, so this is like really popular 20 years ago almost. Really? Yeah, where people would fry sage and then they would put it with gnocchi, yeah. with butter, or they would fry it with, like, potatoes and have fried sage on the side. And, like, I don't know. I, I like digging up old, like, recipes and mm-hmm. putting them into the mix. Yeah. So I thought, we have a giant sage bush here at La Forteza. Uh-huh. Why not, like, make a ton of sage? And also, like, Annette's, um, who house love fortez is she has like she suggested it she loved it yeah she was thinking about it and i don't know if i feel like we're both on the same page when it comes to like adding new things and old things into dishes and so do you just put like a tiny bit of olive oil in a pan to fry it like you wouldn't you don't do it a ton or you want about an inch of olive oil it's a lot of olive oil so Uh like if you're just doing it for your family just get a small pot like oh okay and put it into there like 
what's sold as like a small saucepan, the one with the higher size, that uh-huh. way the oil doesn't jump out. You put about an inch down, you drop it into it, and you're deep frying into it. I put one sage leaf into the oil, see when it starts to fry, and when it starts frying, I add the rest of the sage leaves. Okay. Let them fry. I strain them out with like a little like spider, is mm-hmm. what it's called, or um, know what the name is in English. I think it's called, a, in French, it's called an equimois. Okay. But it's like, it's just the thing that, le- it's like a slot of spoon sort of okay. thing. Okay, yeah. So okay. Just be careful, it's hot oil. Sure. And always like, don't pour pour the oil down your drain. Yes. Put it, either dispose of it through the garbage or save it to cook again. Mm-hmm. I saved ours like to cook again because oh, it's like good. sage flav- Plus it's flavored sa- olive yeah. oil. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh, that would be a great little s- salad dressing yeah, maybe. Yeah, salad dressing you, it, or okay. you can like. Or I can mix it, pour it on, drizzle it on top of the meat, and all of a sudden you have this explosion of sage with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can even like take fresh sage and like warm it up gently in it Uh and to double, like, so you have the fried sage flavor plus like the fresh sage flavor. So there's all sorts of ways to re infuse oil and like all sorts of water based things can just be done the same way you would do a tea, Mm -hmm. you know? Good rule for me is if something starts to turn brown. That's when it's time to take it out okay. because you're gonna start getting like composty tasting flavors. Yeah. For herbs once they start <laughs> okay. To turn brown. Yeah. Okay. That's a good good rule to to think about. Throughout what you've been talking about, Chef Philip, one of the things that I hear over and over again is your love of learning, and it sounds like you just never stop desiring I, that. Yeah, it's a, it can be a and problem. So <laughs> <laughs> why is it a problem? Uh, I just feel like. I don't let my mind stop sometimes because mm. I'm just like listening to a new podcast about how to cook, yeah. reading like on the internet side about to cook. And mm. I feel like I, I do a lot better if I'm just kind of like chilling out, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It's better for like my mind overall. And, yeah. you know, I need to know, like, get better at like putting the brakes on it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I think learning is great. What do, you, what do you feel like you're learning right now? When oh my God, thing? right now? So we're in La Lunigiana, mm-hmm. which is in northern Tuscany, and we're just surrounded by <gasps> mountains. Yeah. And all these people who have continued doing these amazing uh, food traditions for hundreds of years, they still exist here. Mm-hmm. Uh, UNESCO has come into the region and started saying, hey, we need to pay attention to this and preserve these, mm-hmm. um, these like, hyper-local food traditions. Yeah. So you get, like... Um, all these different products made out of the chestnuts here. And the chestnuts, just like people have chestnut trees, they collect the chestnuts, and they'll slowly, like, dry them in a, um, it's kind of like a smokehouse with, like, a a quiet, a low fire that's going. It just releases up some heat and some smoke to dry out the chestnuts. Uh It keeps any sort of insects away, and it's... um, you end up having this amazing, lightly smoked chestnut flour that's mm-hmm. delicious for things. There's There are a lot of different regional breads here, panigacci, testaroli, um, and there are, a lot of them are made over wood fire because mm. there's, there's so many trees still around Right, here. right, right. Yeah, so it's a real pleasure to go out there and to connect with these, um, these traditions that are so grounded in the region. Mm. I feel like the more grounded a recipe is to the area in which it's like taking place, the more connected you are to that, mm. to that region, to its people. Yeah. 
and like what's important. And the people here are like very generous and sharing like、mm-hmm. their time and like what they know.、Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun, like. To like just experience that and try to maybe like incorporate some of that those like lessons I've learned into like my own cooking. So, what do you feel like is next on the horizon for you? What do you wish <laughs> is on the horizon? I don't know.、Um, more cooking in Italy would be good. Okay. <laughs>、um, I, I do set goals, but.、Um, I also try to like stay open to like、yeah. new possibilities. I really like cooking a lot of like private dinner parties and stuff like this. But I don't know. I I've been thinking a lot about some sort of content development,、mm-hmm. and I haven't like figured out what that would be yet. Yeah, there was rumor I think of a possible cookbook collaboration. I don't know if I can、yeah. say that. Yeah, or anything. <laughs> but、um, at dinner there were rumblings. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a possibility.、Mm-hmm. Um, Annette has mentioned it, yeah, and I would be down for、yeah. the idea. But I think there has to be a lot more conversation. Sure, <laughs> before, sure. Like, so I'm interested to see like what would come about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could sum up your philosophy with cooking in like one sentence, what would that be? <sighs> Have an open heart. And use that to、um, to lead you on how to like nourish and、um, give people pleasure. Yeah,、so. I love it, Chef Philip. Thank you so much for spending time and、oh, and sharing、thanks. your knowledge, and really appreciate it. Oh well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking、yes. with you, Heidi. Great, I've loved、uh, our conversation. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. And I hope everyone else has as well. And just. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, on the、um, podcast, anywhere you can find podcast, and that way you won't miss any of these Italy chronicles. Is what I'm calling them <laughs> while I'm here, so you won't want to miss this. Yeah, next time I'll get to interview you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>